HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, I like that new intro. Uh, and hi to Mitchell Davis. Mitchell is uh, is an old friend. Uh, he uh, he actually taught a food studies class in Italy that that I uh, that I took about eight ten years ago. <laughs> um, but definitely tune into uh, to Mitchell's show if uh, if you had a chance. Um, today I have a, a special guest, someone I've known for uh, for quite a few years now. Um, George and I first met, uh, when he moved up to New York to take over the wine list at Scarpetta. Um, his name's George Hawk. And when he, uh, Scarpetta is obviously just a few blocks away from, uh, Delanima and Anfora. Um, he came there and really just amped up the, the program. Um, he was one of the first people in the city to, t- to really like take a, a stand on Sicilian wines, um, and just building out all of the, uh, the kind of really cool off the bean path wines of, of Italy. Um, George has worked in a ton of, of different Italian restaurants and, uh, George excited to have you on the show. Welcome to in the drink. It's a pleasure. Good morning. Uh, you know, we're going to, we like to start off the show with the best wine I've had in the last week. Um, and I'll give you a moment to, uh, to think about it. Um, you know, we we just had Thanksgiving, uh, and it, for me, it tends to be Beaujolais and Riesling uh, are the wines that I drink with uh, with my girlfriend Alyssa and my mom and 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 her her big family. They tend to go well with a lot of foods, and and people like them uh, in, in general. Even if you're not into wine, I feel like those are those are wines that that people are are, are pretty uh, open to. Um, I had a really great Beaujolais recommendation from uh, from Slope Cellars down in South Park Slope. It's one of the best wine stores in in the city. One of the best wine stores I've, I've ever been to. Um, pretty much everything in there is like really hand picked and and just delicious. Um, and uh, it's a wine made by the girlfriend of Eve Matra, 
And if you know Matrat, it, he his wines are like he's a contemporary of Foyard and, and Lapierre um, in in uh, in Beaujolais. These guys who make these really uh, kind of like natural handmade uh, Beaujolais that are delicious, and a lot of Somalis go crazy over them. But Matrat's not imported to the states, so it's kind of one of those bottles where uh, if you can find one, it's yeah, you know you're super excited. Uh, but this is made by the girlfriend. Her name is Julie Balagny. Um, I'd never heard of it. Uh, it's an, and it was her Fleury 2013. And it was delicious and it was maybe in the low twenty dollars and uh it was like just this great pure fun wine that that everyone really really loved um george sounds perfect for thanksgiving it was great yeah and we had some other beaujolais as well but george what what was what's been the the best wine you've had in the last week well indeed it was thanksgiving so we had some good stuff myself and jenny my girlfriend and some friends had my mom over uh, had some 96 Coolita Sarant, which was killing it. Nice. As well as some late 70s uh, Vigna Tendonia Red, Gran Reserva. But uh, kind of for work, the thing that I've had recently that, that really opened my eyes was the uh, the new Sagrantino from Palo Bea, the Charetta. Oh, I've been wanting to try this. Oh, it's, it's killer. It's And they had it at Slope Cellars. And, that you know, I, I've seen it. I've read. Crush wrote this whole big thing about how awesome it is. And uh, the single vineyard Sagrantino that had only been blended before. And now he's just releasing it. Is it is it as great as everyone's saying? Yeah, it's amazing. I was I was actually, I visited uh, John Pierre in 2010. I got to taste it from Barrel. And then he's he said, you know, we're going to release this in 2014. I'm like, ah, it's forever away. So you know, it finally came up. It just came to the states like two months ago. Tasted it. It's uh, it's just it's packed. It's a different level than his other wines. So wow. So. And it, is it ready to drink? I mean, the thing I've always loved about Palo Bea's or Giampiero now, Giampiero's uh, wines, is that for Sagrantino, which can be such a, a hard, harsh tannic wine, his are elegant upon release. Uh, and granted, he he ages them. You know, the 07 of that one is the current release, so seven years out. But uh, is it? I, I still was wondering if this is like a a harsh tannic wine, or is it is it elegant and ready to go? Well, it's you know, it's it's got a lot of tannin. It's not dry tannin. It's it's actually pretty sweet tannin. It's mm. almost reminiscent of like 04 Montfortino or something, where you can drink it now, but you know, it's got layers and layers that'll kind of reveal themselves over the decades. I think even. Wow, and they made a minuscule amount of this one. Yeah, it's like three thousand bottles. Or something. Oh man, like I really want to try. This. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's something. Let it open up for like four hours. It'll, it'll nice. be worth it. Yeah, nice. And you have it? Uh, do you have it on the wine list? Were you one of the few? Uh, we we have Bayes wines on the list. Yeah. We don't we don't actually list it. We kind of just have it in the cellar. Oh. So if someone asks about it, you know, we have so it. if you're you know savvy in the drink listener. Yeah, you, might, you can get it. Come to Bar yeah. So both of you guys who are listening, <laughs> you, can, you can ask ask George for. All right, George. So you've worked uh, before Barquetta, uh, and I, I am sorry that I didn't say that in the uh, intro. But uh, yeah, George is now the uh, the wine director and uh, also general manager yes. of uh, Barquetta. That's uh, no small thing to do two uh, two roles of uh, a brand new uh, restaurant. Um, David Pasternak, the kind of chef's chef. Uh, big uh, Long Island fisherman, uh, the chef from, from Esca, new restaurant, uh, and, and you're running both of those things. So congratulations. That, that's awesome. A lot of great press already on, uh, on the food and, and uh, especially your wine program. Um, but before working at Barchetta, you've worked at multiple Italian restaurants, uh, such as two Scarpettas. <laughs> yes. Uh, but what, what got you into Italian food and, and Italian wine? Um, I'd say with the wine, just the, the diversity. You know, you have all, all the way south, all the way north. You have all different types of wines made by different crazy types of people. 
Um, the food's delicious. It's easily identifiable. It's easy to kind of spin on it. Um, it's just good, soulful food, you know. So I'd started in Miami. Uh, I worked at a great restaurant called Casa Tua. Uh, still, I think, the best restaurant in Miami. Uh, you know, through Dave Mocha, met Scott Conan, Antonello Paganuzzi, joined Scarpetta there. Uh, and the new Fountain Blue, then came up to New York. And then, Is know. it that easy? I don't think... I think there's more to it than that. I think you're underselling it. Because, uh, like, the kind of lists that you put together are awesome. Like, they're, it, it's clear that you have, like, a deep love of these wines and, you know awesome service as well um but you didn't just like did you just really just like fall into it because oh italian food's good italian wines are interesting yeah sort of you know it's the right place right time you share the passion with the right people you know through through traveling you really kind of going back and forth to italy it, it really builds kind of a strong base for knowledge and also for just relationships to kind of bring that home and and, and take the wines that people are looking really? for okay well after leaving Scarpetta, you did spend some time in Italy. Um, you moved to Mount Etna, which is, uh, you know, I, I keep saying that it's the most exciting place in Italy for wine right now. Um, but you'd know that for sure because you actually lived on the largest active volcano in Europe. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Uh, it was <laughs> back and forth over the course of two years. I, I would agree with you. It's definitely the most interesting place uh, to make wine in Italy right now. It's kind of gone in and out to be trendy and whatnot, but it still kind of is what it is. Um, you have a, vines that have been growing on the volcano for, for millennia, you know, kind of untouched. It's a natural park. There's no, no big wineries. It's not like any, it's not like Tuscany where it's kind of, you know, like the Rodeo Drive of, uh, of Italy. And, you know, people are just doing things the way they were doing them, you know, hundreds of years ago. What was your, how did you first get drawn to Etna and Etna wines? Um... Just the, the the versatility of them in terms of kind of pairing them. Before I went there and even realized what, what was going on there, which kind of blew my mind, uh, you taste the wines, and, you know, you taste the wines of Terranera, you taste the wines of Salvofoti. They're just phenomenal wines. You know, if you want a, a full-bodied wine that's elegant, you know, you have it right there. If you're eating fish, if you're eating pasta, mm. you're eating meat, you have it right there. And then once you kind of crack the surface, you have all these traditions that go on there. Um, Everything's hand harvested. There's no mechanization of the vineyards. Everything's terraced. Uh, you know the planting density. It's just well, what they do there is really old school Mediterranean, and you know it, it shows in the products. Wow! And what did you do while you were there? Um, did PR stuff. I'd met Salvo Foti when I was there. Um, he had an Enoteca in Randazzo, um, so we kind of got together. And then uh, we were invited back, myself and Jenny. So we went. We tried to run this little uh, wine bar that he had there. We were doing PR. We were doing vineyard tours. At the same time, kind of learning how they tend the old vineyards up there and uh, how they make their wine. So kind of just running around Sicily, going to the satellite islands, doing harvests here and there, just visiting people. It sounds horrible. And yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. In your estimation, what, what kind of influence has Salvo Foti had on the other winemakers in the area? I'd say everything. He's had, he's had his hands and you know more than half of the wineries that you see now uh he's born and raised there he, he knows the vines he knows where the secret vineyards are he knows you know he knows where to buy the best fruit if you want to do something like that and uh you know he has all different styles among his wines but uh he's he's the go-to guy when people go there they, they ask his advice wow and uh how have things changed since you first got there it seems like it's a this very ancient historic place but there's all of the like, tons of people coming and 
making different styles and quality is I I think improved quite a bit, but it yeah, was I, never bad. <laughs> no, it was yeah, it was never bad. There, people say this big land grab that happened on it, and I don't think that actually happened. Mm-hmm. It didn't really make sense. You know, you don't have people like Antonori going down there. You know, you have Tasca that's there. You have Planeta that's Planeta there. Planeta just came there. Right? You know, the, the wines are good because you have this territory. It's, it's unless you really really try hard to mess it up. It's, mm. The wines are going to be good, and all these emerging producers that are you know make a few thousand bottles here and there. there's even people there they're just farmers they have vineyards it's not worth it for them to sell their land it's still a lot of good wine can be made and, and exported from there interesting wow and so Savo Foti Terranari very opposite I mean somewhat opposite kind of wines right but yeah, what yeah, else definitely. what else what, who, what, what other producers are you, are you excited in that, that Etna area um, really like the wines of Frank Cornelison I've, you know you see how they've progressed from, from what they were to what they are now and, and they're all just totally drinkable and you know whether it be natural or not you know the wines are, are just kind of stunning and they last and he's uh, he's kind of an iconoclast and you know he's kind of hard to reach even if you're there he's kind of notorious for that um, so well, you'll be able to reach him by listening to the show because we're going to have him. Uh, we're going to have him on the show. When? Um, well, it'll, it's going to air in a few weeks. Nice. I'll yeah. be listening to that. But we're actually just full full uh, disclosure. We're going to be taping it right after this one. It'll, That's funny. It'll, it'll air in a few weeks, so, you, so you'll uh, you'll have a chance to give Frank a big hug. Yeah, just. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and so I, again, like those three, you know, I think different sort of quite different wines. Frank's uh, been a, an exciting winery to visit. I found that when, when his wines were first released, they were like absolutely thrilling and then there were bottles that were horrifying. They were like, <laughs> like, sometimes you get a bottle, it's like, oh my god, this is like one of the most interesting, amazing wines I've ever had. And then in the same case, the same wine would be just like scary. Yeah, that happens with some of the, you know, some of the great producers. You have Musar, which you know, mm-hmm. it can happen too. Yeah. Even even the bad bottles are good because they're interesting. Yeah, and now I think there's a larger percent of his wines that are that are thrilling and less that are scary. You know, you have the uh, kind of the 2011s that came out. They're definitely much stronger. You could tell he's trying to trying to really, you know, make big, powerful wine now that's still elegant and still like true to his style. Um, but you know, you know, he's got really awesome vineyards, and that that's where it comes from on Etna is having the. The badass vineyards. Yeah, and the outside of Etna, what other regions in Italy are you uh, most excited about? Well, you know the, the usual suspects. You know, everyone loves Brunello. The the wines are great from there. Piedmont, Liguria, especially at Barchetta, we do a lot of coastal stuff, so we do a lot of a lot of wines from Liguria, which I haven't gone to yet. I'd love to visit actually. Mm. One of the heroic viticulture sites in Italy. I went uh, when I was studying abroad, like back in college, and loved it so much. I was studying in Florence. I love it so much. I went the next weekend. It's like it's extraordinary. It's beautiful, and and the 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 tough thing about when you're driving to Piedmont from Tuscany is that you're going north in Tuscany, and the highway takes you through Liguria. Yeah, and you see the mountains coming. You're like, I kind of just want to stay Stuff, here yeah. on the coast in like the beautiful water, and then you go over the mountains, and next thing you know, you're like in Piedmont, and it's cloudy and it's gray and. Like the, it was, the, it was sunny, and there's the beach right over there. Yeah, and the, and the cliffs, and uh, <laughs> you know, you have this kind of even tourist mindset, which everyone's happy, you know. Yeah, everyone's everyone's happy there. Um, all right, we're gonna take a, a quick break. When we get back. I want to talk to you more about specifically the the wines on on your list at uh, Barquetta. How you go about pairing them with uh, with David's uh, cuisine, and uh, we'll be right back. Cool. 
Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost-be-damn, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Uh, and here we are learning a ton from George Hawk. <laughs> uh, George, uh, as I said at the top of the show, the uh, both the wine director and general manager of uh, the new restaurant Barquetta, uh, David Pasternak's restaurant. Uh, and David's known for his uh, just being not only a chef but a fisherman and, and just doing extraordinary things uh, with uh, with fish, I, I've, I'm actually almost done with uh, Dan Barber's uh, new book, The Third Plate, and he talks about um, uh, about uh, Pastor about Chef Pasternak being one of the first people in New York to embrace bluefish uh, as Indeed. yeah uh, as uh, you know as as a, a delicious high quality fish, and it, it was kind of a much maligned. Uh, fish, so I think you know very well respected chef even amongst the, the chef community. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, and uh, so we have George. So George, considering the Barquetta seafood focus, what kind of considerations do you make for uh, for building the wine list? Well, first you got to th think about the breakdown from white and red. Typically, you know, you go seventy red, thirty white percentage wise. Here we did more half and half, um, and we see it. The guests are ordering white wine. People still are in this kind of thing where you, if you have fish, you order white wine. Also, the reds are kind of all built to kind of go with fish as well. We also do a great steak, great pork chop, uh, great chicken. So um, to build the list, we kind of just thought what people would want. So we kind of loaded it with white wine and even treated the white wines like a, like a red wine program. A lot of stuff with age. We decant a lot of whites. Um, I think the list is awesome and really well-priced. Great selection. It feels like everything is there for, for a reason. And I like how uh, if you know, like if you really know your wines, 
great value across. But if you really know like what some of these these wines are, you can get amazing deals on this list. Like you can you can drink wine that should be two and a half times the price. Uh, for instance, the Val- let's see the Valentini Terrasuolo for a hundred and ten dollars. I know what that wine costs wholesale, and that is not much more than that wine costs wholesale. No, no. But uh, you know, offering that value to people that that are kind of into it, you don't have many chances to drink drink Charisuolo, and you know, other places it's over two hundred bucks. So you know, come here, drop one hundred ten dollars, you drink kind well, of the world's best rosé. Yeah. For instance, I rarely spend one hundred ten dollars on a bottle of wine going out, but. I see that there. Like I'm going to yeah, yeah, get we, that yeah, wine. Can, that's what we're trying to do: kind of compel people to uh, to step out of the box with kind of the great the great Italian white and rosé wines. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, and one of the more unusual drinks that you have on your cocktail list is called the Spezia, which includes vodka, caper brine, and squid ink. How, yeah. how is this conceived? And does it stain your mouth? It it does sometimes depending on how heavy the bartender's hand is with the with the squid ink. But that was kind of one of the original, you know, quote unquote signature cocktails we we're gonna come up with. We're like, what are we gonna do? And then we're like, you know, squid ink, dirty martini, do a little bit uh a little bit funkier with the caper brine and uh you know, it's a little bit polarizing. People see it, it's it's a jet black drink and they, they drink it. It actually tastes a lot cleaner than it looks. Um but people dig it, you know, something a little different. So That's so cool. Yeah. Who came up with that cocktail? Do you have a, how does your bar program work there? Uh, when we opened, uh, we're with part of LDV Hospitality. They have a guy, David Boxwell, mm-hmm. who's a great bartender at American Cut. You know, he helped conceive the original cocktail list, and, and he came up with that drink. And, you know, it has been it has been a hit. We've had a few sent back just because of the, <laughs> the sheer shock of it. But, uh, you know, people like it. So. You have to, yeah. You kind of have to expect that and build that, build that in. That. Yeah, it, it comes with a warning, just like some wines. You know, if someone kind of blindly orders a wine, you know, for instance, something possibly orange or something possibly too old, you, you know, you let them know what they're getting themselves into, and then they enjoy it like that. Yeah. Well, what's what's your method for letting something? Because you don't want to tell that guest, do you know what you're doing? Like, you know, do yeah. you, you don't want to because that could be off-putting. It can be off-putting. So you kind of, you know, I use words like funky, you know. Some people will take that the wrong way. Some people will take it the right way. So yeah. they, at, least, at least they know that they're getting something that's not like a Cosmo or a, an old-fashioned. So. Right. It's like if you get like the La Castellano, La Castellata Sauvignon Blanc. It's not, yeah, it's not Sauvignon Blanc. It's so. not what anyone would imagine a Sauvignon Blanc being like. So you go and you say, you know, have you, typically the Castellata wines are going to have age on them. You know, have you had an 06 Sauvignon Blanc? And then you kind of get into conversation. Just you want to find out what they're looking for and then, you know, like politely steer them to something that they'll like more because it just benefits everybody. Yeah. And what kind of, what kind of wines are you decanting and, and how are you finding these white wines with age, especially Italian white wines with age? That seems like a tricky thing to, to find. Yeah. It was, you know, some of the good producers, Valentini, uh, Benanti's, Pietro Marina, you know, they offer the wines with age. Otherwise, you know, you get right now we're pouring this 2006 Villareano Fiano, the Ripa Alta, you know, they've gone through four importers since they've been with Vinifera, but you know, Vinifera found, you know, five cases of it. It's drinking real great. So, you know, just pick that up and you, you know, you see, you see them here and there. Some of the wines are a little bit too old, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, you take your risk sometimes. Yeah. And uh, going through, uh, distributors, specifically Vinifera has been a, a, a useful way for me to find, uh, wines, wines with age on them. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, especially that, that, uh, 
when when a distributor loses a producer, they kind of stop trying to market the wine unless they're like really actively trying to close it out. Sure. So sometimes you can find those those little like gems in the yeah. But the if it's great for that, you know, they're, they're still pushing you know Odero even though they don't kinda, yeah. they don't deal with them anymore. So and boy, have those you know I've I've always liked Odero, but those wines have gotten awesome. I haven't had them in a few years, to be honest. You have to try the new Odero ones. Oh, yeah. They're like, the quality is is super, super increased. Interesting. Super, super increased. Yeah. What do you guys have going on throughout the uh, the holiday season? Over at Barquetta? Yeah. You know, we got a lot of private parties. We have this kind of uh, separate, we call it the Lido deck. It's, you know, it could sit 18 people. It's like kind of up a half flight of stairs. Mm. We're kind of booking that out all the time, you know, just getting ready for the busy season until January, so... Getting ready for the is this is December kind of uh, you're expecting to be the busiest month? Yeah, so far. Again, we've been kind of since we opened in April, ramping it up, and uh, we're, we're we're doing the best we've done so far. So we're kind of hitting our stride. And what's the move? If you were to like to plan out like a perfect Barquetta dining experience, like what's the, what's the move? You sit at the bar, sit at the table, get um, seventeen of your friends, and do the do the deck up there, or. That's you know you you go four people we have this awesome table it's right by a window up on that deck it's table forty mm-hmm. you know you go there you have your crudo you have your appetizers a bunch of pastas a bunch of whole fish a bunch of wine and call it a night nice what 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 are some of the better like wine and fish pairings that you that you've come across um, something that you love to do you know yeah, try to get some some white wines with age on the tables mm-hmm. get them decanted serve them super cold so with crudo the wines seem crisp and then kind of as they open up in the decanter they gain weight they gain body then that's when you get you know your pasta and your grilled fish um pretty much you know there's a lot of a lot of wines that go with a lot of food so nice and uh do you have any any travel coming up are you going back to to Edna do you long for it how do you live through a New York City winter after having spent so much time in sicily it's it's rough but uh we're hoping to get back uh next year maybe even buy some fruit and bottle up some wine bring it back over um but in the meantime you know a couple weeks ago i was in vieques puerto rico hoping to go back again in february just to get away from the cold great wine scene there oh yeah (laughs) great painkiller scene there um other than other than norello mascalese um what what else is going on in Sicilian wine? I mean, you're the you're the Sicilian wine expert, the most expert person I know in, in it, and I, I really like these wines. Um, I think I found out about the the Guccione wines probably from one of your wine lists, and I think those are those are delicious. Uh, Nero Davola is kind of going through what's going on with Nero Davola these days. Well, you know, I always say that you have the three different kinds of Nero Davola. The original Nero Davola coming from Avila, uh, the main vineyards in Pacino in the extreme southeast. Um, those are kind of the. It's almost like the Nerella Mascalese of the Nero Davolas. You're going to have power, but then you're not going to be overly extracted like you're going to find in the west side of the island. Uh, where, where the clones are just totally different. Uh, again, planting densities, concentrations of the wines are totally different. Then you drive an hour over and you're in Vittoria where you have this kind of red clay soil that makes these super elegant Neradavla. Um, so wherever you go on the island, you even have Neradavla growing up in Messina, up in uh, Milazzo if you mm-hmm. go on the north coast. But it, it's all kind of different. It's interesting how kind of Sicily's native grape uh, depending on where it's grown and who grows it, it, yields totally different results. Yeah, and are you finding that that attitudes towards Nerodavla are are changing as well, or have people kind of dialed it in and they they they're just uh, they figured out what they want to do? I I think people 
understand the differences. You know, some mm-hmm. people, if, if you go to a wine store, your local wine store, you spend you know, $12 on a bottle of Neridavo, you're expecting kind of a big, juicy wine, but then people are also understanding the nuances of like Cherisuolo de Vittoria and uh, kind of catching on to the wines of like Gulfi and Pacino. They're kind of the, the big guys down there that are doing the different single vineyards, different contratas, and uh, really showing what Neridavo can do, especially when you have some vine age in your vineyards. Right. Yeah. And and so you're, you're kind of top... One of your some of your, some of your favorite Neridavas would be Gulfi and Pequino, or yeah, I'd say Gulfi. Those are going to be my favorite Neridava wines. All right, because because you know they make the four that are imported. They make two other single Contrada wines, but that's where you can really see you can go across the same vintage and taste uh, wines from four different vineyards that are less than two miles from each other, and they're just totally different wines. It's it's, it's amazing. It's pretty. Uh, yeah, those wines are are awesome, and you know that's one of those wines where. Uh, I tasted it and really liked it and then forgot about it. Uh, and so it never actually never made it onto one of our lists. And like you're, just you talking about it now has reminded me like, oh, I should, I should revisit that. Why, why have we overlooked those wines? The, the price is right too for them. You know, you're getting a lot of wine for the money. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, I'm sure you, you taste, uh, all the time and there's so many, so many wines out there, so many wines to get excited it, about. Yeah, so much good stuff. We, we don't all have the luxury of, uh, of buying everything, which would be great. You know. Yeah, especially when you're downtown Manhattan, you have certainly space constraints. Yes. Yeah. And some people have characterized your list as kind of the wine esoterica. How do you, or Italian wine esoterica? How do you feel about about that? Well, you know, all of Italy's esoteric. If you if you think about it, every region, every town has its own has its own grapes that goes. You know, it's meant to go with its own food. Um, we're talking about you know Barolo, Brunello. Everyone knows that Chianti, Super Tuscans. Everything outside of that, people you know, some people just call it esoteric, and I think it's just kind of it's just more local. You yeah, know? I I absolutely love that answer, and it's you know it's it's totally true. It's okay. only esoteric because we don't know it yet. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> people there aren't doing strange stuff. They're they're not you know people on Ischia aren't like oh I'm gonna make some wacky wines. They're making like super clean, delicious, mineral, floral white wines that uh, that go perfect with food or just to drink on their own. So that's kind of what we do at Barquette, especially with the with the seafood, without being kitschy, trying to do a coastal thing, uh, island thing, Corsica, Bandol, even if we go into France, even into the uh, eastern coast of Spain. So what it ends up being is just it's a wine list of wines from beautiful places. Yeah. So it's, and people identify with that. You know, They don't necessarily know the wines of Cassis, but they've been to Cassis, and they're like, oh, I've been, I was in Cassis last year. I'll buy this wine because of that. Same with, like, Portofino in, in Liguria. You know, it's kind of cool. That's super cool. All right, and, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's why people go to restaurants like, you know, like Barchetta, where you have someone like you who can find these, these really, you know, awesome wines, great, great winemakers. Uh, like I said before, just super excellent values in uh, – you know, and, and David Pasternak's food, he, very, uh, very well, uh, very, it's kind of a really well-rounded restaurant. You, know, you guys have everything going for it. Right. Very much so. It's, you know, it's a, to have a unique experience at a restaurant is kind of what we offer. We're, we do a little purist thing in terms of the seafood, but also try to keep it neighborhood. You know, Chef Christian Gorner does a great job as well. Um, you know, just trying to do it. Awesome, and uh, I encourage you all to uh, to go visit George. Yes. Uh, ask for the uh, off the menu 
Palabeo behind, <laughs> uh, but probably not with your uh, not with your sardine or bluefish appetizer. Chances are no. <laughs> He's like, no, we're out. I'm sorry, we're out of stock. You're having that with like bluefish crudo. Uh, <laughs> um, and thanks so much, George. And thanks uh, to all of you for listening. This is uh, all the time we have. But I uh, hope to see you guys next week on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>